Highland Falls, El Paso, Clarksville, Watertown, and from other important military capitals around the globe. Eye on Defense brings the top military and defense issues into focus. Eye on Defense is proudly sponsored by Big Sarge Pre-Owned TA-50 Emporium and The Last Hope Jewelry and Pawn. And now, citizens of Earth, brace yourselves for the next episode of Eye on Defense. Defense, 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 defense. All right, we're back, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Today is 20 October, and this is episode 60. Let's see, we got about one, two, three, four, about four or five stories uh, to talk about tonight. Might as well get started. Kind of bad news, or, well, good news and bad news. It's an F-35 story. Uh, This is from Air Force Times. Air Force F-35 fighter jet crashes in Utah, but the pilot safely ejects. So good, good ending to that. This happened, I think it happened Wednesday, which was yesterday evening. The story is from 20 October 1113 by Rachel S. Cohen. Uh, An Air Force pilot safely ejected from an F-35 Alpha model Lightning II fighter jet that crashed in Hill Air Force Base, Utah on Wednesday evening. The airman, the pilot, was treated at a local hospital and has since been released, which is very good news. This came from the 388th Fighter Wing spokesman, somebody named Micah Garbarino. The pilot was returning to Hill Air Force Base from a routine training mission when the crash occurred. Crash recovery site investigation is still ongoing. The pilot landed near local resident Brock Thurgood's off-base property after he ejected from the stealth jet, according to one Salt Lake City news outlet. Uh, the pilot was walking. Uh, he was coherent, but his hands were bloodied, and he was a little banged up. Uh, let's see what else. Photos and videos posted to social media show a massive ground fire billowing smoke where the plane went down near the north end of Hill's runway. The blaze spanned about 10 acres but was suppressed. Uh, the pilot's safe. Everybody on the ground is safe. And Hill, uh, a different Hill Air Force Base indefinitely canceled its flying operations. Five other F-35s from the 388th were diverted to Salt Lake City International Airport and will return to the base soon. And then there's a number you can call if you saw it. Uh, let's see. Air Force did not. Air Force officials did not immediately answer Thursday morning whether the secure services paused F-35A flight operations or is it looking to any issues of potential concern for the most advanced fighter fleet? It's rare for F-35 to be destroyed and to be destroyed in accidents. Just one of the Air Force variant has been totaled so far in FY20. Uh, the Air Force plans to grow f- from about 375 to 432 F-35As in 2023, and they're stationed at several bases in the U.S. and overseas. And each A model costs 78 million. So bad news: the plane crashed. Good news: the pilot's okay. And it wouldn't be a podcast without an F-35 story. And shoot, while I'm on the Air Force, I might as well continue on. This one's from Defense News from 20 October 1053 by Stephen Losey, L-O-S-E-Y. Coming soon, the official rollout of the secretive B-21. The article starts, mark your calendar. The Air Force's next stealth bomber, B-21 Raider, will be revealed to the public in California on December 2nd. Northrop Grumman uh, is the one who builds it. They put this out in a tweet. Let's see. 
The rollout will take place in Northrop Grumman's facility in Palmdale, California. Uh, the company said in September that six test bombers were in various stages of a final assembly there. Uh, the company, Northrop Grumman and Air Force, have shared a few details of the rollout. Uh, Northrop Grumman announcement included a short video that showed a shrouded B-21 illuminated with floodlights and the date. And what's the date of that tweet? 20 October. Maybe I'll retweet that. I haven't been on Twitter for a minute. Uh, while I'm talking about Twitter, Twitter plug here at defense underscore podcast. If you can possibly find the time, check us out. And I'll put this tweet up on the Northrop Grumman B-21 Raider. Uh, Air Force did not have immediate contact on the announcement. This is the pers- first public unveiling of a new Air Force bomber in 34 years since the B-2 Spirits debut in November of 88. Uh, they think the first flight of the B-21 will come in 2023, a few months after the rollout. Uh, this this aircraft will fly, the B-21 will fly from Plant 42 at Palmdale to Edwards Air Force Base in California next year where formal flight tests will take place. And that's pretty much it for that story. B-21 stealth bomber. Don't know anything about it. Uh, I guess we'll have to look into it and see what it's all about. And we'll find out December 2nd also. I wonder if I can get invited to that. Ion Defense Podcast at the secretive B-21 rollout, and then uh, do a show about that. Probably won't happen. Now, something a little closer to home for for me. It's an Army story. Uh, this is from Jen Judson uh, from Defense News. Army readiness, readies, Army readiness, Army readies to select tactical truck builders. This is from October 19th, 2 p.m. Now, we kind of talked about this uh, common tactical truck CTT program. I don't think you're going to find it in any of the 35 modernization priorities, but every once in a while we'll talk about logistics and sustainment and stuff like that and how important it is. I think the first few months of the war in Ukraine and, and uh, between Russia and Ukraine, the, one of the stories was that Russia didn't know how to, I mean, they couldn't feed their soldiers. They couldn't get water to their soldiers. They couldn't fix their equipment. They were having problems with resupply, all kinds of stories, and all that's logistics and sustainment, and um, which is a big part of any operation is logistics and sustainment. And if you can't do that, then you're going to have problems. So you, you got the people at the tactical edge, your infantry and your cavalry and your armor and your artillery. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to fix the stuff they break, and you have to feed them, and you have to put fuel in the trucks and the, the tanks and all that, and that's all sustainment. So it for the army to be modernizing uh, logistics systems, which is something we're interested in every time we see it or every time I see it, I'll, I'll try to report on it. And here's one of those stories. Uh, the army is slated to, I'm starting on the article. The army is slated to select the next is slated to select early next year, multiple vendors to build prototypes for the common tactical truck program. The service received multiple bids to compete. And this is from Brig- Brigadier General Luke Peterson, who is a PEO and the PEO is uh, Combat Service, I'm sorry, Combat Support and Combat Service Support. And PEO means Program Executive Officer. He said in a re- recent interview, so multiple bids, we are on track for a January award and it will be more than one company, which is always good for competition. And hopefully they won't keep kicking this can down the, down the road like some other PEO and cross-functional team that we know. That shall remain nameless. I'm being mean now. Uh, as part of a prototyping effort uh, to, as part of the prototyping effort to 
really allow the Army to evaluate current commercial technology and a military-type application modified off-the-shelf for military purposes. Okay, these new trucks are supposed to replace the family of heavy tactical vehicles. Apparently, that series has a reliability issue, and the service, meaning the Army, is struggling to sustain its legacy trucks, Peterson said. Uh, Let's see, he's got a little quote here. We are going to really learn what industry can offer us, and affordability is going to be the key driver here for the Army to make those informed decisions. And hopefully they will not pick the lowest bidder. That was a joke. So the Army in late June of this year released a request for proposal. I think we kind of covered it. I think we went and found it on SAM.gov and uh, talked a little bit about some of the requirements. And it said, uh, let's see, the service late late June released a request for proposal to build prototypes. The prototyping phase is meant to help the Army define requirements. So I guess they have the prototypes, and then that helps inform requirements. They write a requirement for it, uh, a document to say this is what it's supposed to do. Following the prototype phase, the Army plans again to open the competition, allowing vendors to submit bids for the engineering, manufacturing, development phase, which is a phase of the acquisition. the defense acquisition process. Uh, the service expects to enter EMD, also known as EMD, Engineering Manufacturing Development Phase, EMD, and FY24, and the targeting the end of FY26 to enter the production phase with a single winner. So they go through EMD from, I guess they build prototypes next year. They select some of the best prototypes, and they go EMD with one or two or three, however many vendors. And then they play around with it in EMD from 24 to 26. And at 26, they choose one winner. And then they go into LRIP. And if that works out, they'll go into big production. That's me guessing. Uh, Initial production could be 5,700 vehicles valued at $5 billion. Now, all these, uh, I guess some of the competitors were at AUSA uh, this year back in October. Well, it is October couple weeks ago and here's the competitors that i that that they talk about uh american rheumatol and gm defense who earlier this summer agreed to be partner in the ctt competition ctt common tactical truck they had uh their i guess their their version of it which is an hx tactical military truck and funny enough on the back of it was an infantry squad vehicle which gm defense makes if you remember a few episodes back, way back in the spring or summer, the infantry squad vehicle had a competition and G, uh, GM Defense won it. So they're building, you know, that good grief, how many they're building. And the infantry squad vehicles are going to go to the light brigades. Um, so GM Defense won that and they're, excuse me, they're partnering with a Rheumatol or American Rheumatol to, uh, for this common tactical truck. So they are one of the vendors competing. And they have a nice quote here from GM Defense. I don't know if it's nice. I'll just read it. The Army customer says they want a modern advanced technology based on commercial investments. So we made investments made so that we can deliver the best capability to the warfighters quickly as possible. You know, one thing I've noticed about a lot of these uh, uh, vendor or contract, uh, however the term is, uh, industry presidents and vice presidents most of their uh, most of their quotes are throwaway quotes. They just don't mean anything. So okay, so there's one, and then the second uh, vendor is Mac Defense. 
uh, Mac brought to the conference is M talking about AUSA conferences M nine one seven a three heavy dump truck based on the commercially available Mac granite vehicle. In 2018, the Army awarded Mac Defense $296 million contract to provide over seven years dump trucks to replace a decades-old Army trucks. And Mac builds these trucks in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Interesting enough, I sent a, uh, going back one, I sent an email to GM Defense asking if they wanted to, uh, you know, send me anything about their entry for the common tactical truck. And uh, have not heard anything. It's been crickets. And we'll see if maybe Mac, maybe I'll send something to Mac Defense. Maybe they'll uh, answer me back and maybe they'll send me something and we'll talk about it on the podcast if they do. So moving right along. Okay, still on Mac. Roughly 80, 80% of the parts shared with Mac's commercial vehicle platforms uh, will be used on this new truck, I do believe. Uh, AM General also announced that AUSA had submitted a bid to compete with the Common Tactical Truck. AM General's teaming with Italian company uh, Iveco Defense Vehicles, which previously partnered with BAE Systems to supply the Marine Corps Amphibious Combat Vehicle. So right there, there's one, two, so AM, MAC, and GM Defense, and Rheinmetall. So there's four. And I also found a fourth one. This is from da- uh, Defense Daily, a great site, pay site, though. Uh, Oshkosh AM General submit prototype bids for Army's common tactical truck. Oshkosh Defense is pursuing the, the Army's potential $5 billion common tactical truck effort to replace, find a replacement vehicle for family of heavy tactical vehicles. So you got Oshkosh Defense is one. MAC is two. GM Defense Rheinmetall is three. And AM General with Iveco is four. So there you go. There's your four competitors for the common tactical truck and there's going to be more than one winner for this initial phase could be all four could be three or four could be two but anyway so we'll keep an eye on that coming up uh, next year in january and hopefully they'll make a decision in january and they won't keep kicking the can down the road all right let's see what we're gonna do now might as well go to breaking defense valerie and Senna. this story is from 18 october 2022 it's about high mars high mars is always a popular story uh, the headline is Lockheed making moves to increase high marsh production to 96 per year. If you remember a few episodes ago, we talked about how Dr. LaPlante, who was a senior DOD acquisition official, and our friend, the Honorable Doug Bush, who's the Army assaultee, they were in Arkansas, or Arkansas, however you want to say it. They were in Arkansas visiting the high marsh plant. And I was like, man, why are those guys going to, to Arkansas? That's pretty heavy duty when two very important officials like that, acquisition officials, visit anywhere together. And next thing you know, a few days later, there was an announcement of HIMARS, more HIMARS going to Ukraine. And then now here it is a few weeks later, maybe even a month, that production is increasing in the HIMARS. And that's what this story is about. So we know that Lockheed Martin builds the HIMARS and they build the Javelin also with Raytheon. And we'll get to the article. Lockheed Martin is dialing up production of the high-mobility artillery rocket system, also known as HIMARS, amid the Ukrainian military success, using the system to fend off Russian forces over the past few months. Uh, Lockheed plans to ramp up HIMARS production from 60 to 96 units per year. 60 to 96 units per year. And has already taken steps to expedite production of new launchers in expectation of higher demand 
And this is from Lockheed CEO Jim Tasselet. I'm probably murdering his name. He announced during an earnings call today. Who knows what an earnings call is? Anyway, the company has met with long lead supply chain and spent $65 million, which will eventually be, be paid back by the U.S. government to fund parts in advance, shortening the time needed to manufacture the rocket system. Okay, the U.S. Army has telegraphed a requirement to increase high Mars production to 96 launches per year through a request for information published this summer. According to the solicitation, the service could sustain maximum annual production of 96 units through fiscal year 28. I wonder how many that is between now and FY28. I just did the math for everybody. So if we start with FY23 and we go through FY28, that's... One, two, three, that's six years times 96 for a grand total of 576 HIMAR launchers between now and FY, what did I say, 28. As of October 14th, I'm continuing on with the article now. As of October 14th, U.S. has committed 38 HIMARS to Ukraine since February. Over uh, Of that, 20 HIMARS has been provided to Ukraine through the Presidential Drawdown Authority, which sources them from U.S. military's existing stockpile. Uh, the Defense Department is purchasing the remaining 18 HIMARS as part of a $1 billion arms package funded by Ukraine's Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative, which is announced in September. I'm sure we talked about that. I don't think we've missed a uh, security package since they started, to be honest with you. We've been pretty darn good about keeping up with that. Uh, those launchers have yet to be produced by Lockheed and could take years to deliver. Years is in parentheses, a Pentagon official said at the time. This summer, the Pentagon praised the rocket system, which has a range of about 40 miles, depending on the munition and having a significant impact, allowing Ukraine forces to strike more distant military targets than, than previous artillery allowed. Okay, almost done with the article here. The war in Ukraine has ramped up demand for the precision fire capability across the board. Uh, along with the HIMARS and, and the Javelin, all seen significant interest from foreign customers as well as the U.S. military as it seeks to reflect its own stocks. And that's that's coming from this guy from Lockheed Martin. Now, this guy has some decent quotes. He just didn't wave his hand and throw away some quotes. He has some decent quotes. Credit where credit's due. The company's modernizing the Camden, Arkansas-based facility where it produces weapons such as HIMARS, and has begun cross-training employees to work across multiple product lines. Some weapons have already undergone a bump in production since the start of the year, with HIMARS moving from the annual rate of 48 to 60 launchers since the conflict started. So they started at 48, then they've gone to 60, and then the goal is to be at 96. That's pretty much in the article. That's a pretty good story about Harmars. Uh, excellent article. Who wrote this? Valerie and Sinna. Very good article on defense news. And I'll pause right there. All right, we're on the last story. We're going to talk about Project Convergence. We did kind of an intro to Project Convergence last week, or, yeah, last episode. I think that was Jen Judson's story. Um, and it was with Brigadier General. I think his name is Jones. He's in uh, Futures, Futures Concept Center out of AFC. AFC is the one who's putting on this project convergence, and it's the third year. And this one is from Breaking Defense. It's from Andrew Evertson. We haven't done a story by Andrew for a while. The date is 19 October 22. 
So this is uh, Project Convergence story number two. I did see another Project Convergence story. I can't remember where I saw it. It wasn't this one. It was a, a separate one. I think it was about Jad C2, and I didn't want to get real heavy with Jad C2. Maybe, maybe before it's over, we'll get to it. Uh, Project Convergence is going to run until probably mid-November, early November. So we'll have a chance to get to it. This one's about Blackhawks, uh, autonomous Blackhawks. Just to recap, they've done Project Convergence. I think this is the third year, 20, 21, and 22. Last year they had a autonomous Blackhawk, but they had a pilot in, in the aircraft. So if something went sideways, the pilot could could you know, take care of business. I don't think there's a pilot. Let me get, just, let me just get to the article. Okay. So this is uh 19 October title is at project convergence. Army doubles down on fully autonomous Blackhawk experiments from at breaking defense. Okay. This year's I'm starting the article now this year's project convergence. The U S army is once again, experimenting with its autonomous Blackhawk. That could be the future of its venerable Blackhawk fleet this time without pilots and with new payloads. So apparently no pilots in it, just by itself. And there's a quote here from Lieutenant General Thomas Todd, Deputy Commanding General for Acquisition and Systems and Chief Innovation Officer Army Futures Command. I haven't heard of this guy, but now I, I got his name. So Lieutenant General Thomas Todd, three-star. Okay, my requirement was don't even bring it if it can't be flown autonomous, he said. He told reporters on Monday, the point being that we have to take a step every year. We have to push ourselves to take steps. The Army experiments with autonomous Blackhawk program started under the DARPA project called Blackhawk Aircrew Labor in Cockpit Autonomous System, also known as ALIAS. And that gets that that acronym there is one. One plus. Horrible acronym. I'm sorry, I got stuck on the acronym. Army experiments autonomous the Army the Army's experiment, Autonomous Blackhawk Program, started under a DARPA project called Black, I already read, ALIS, in which Blackhawk manufacturer Sikorsky developed a software to fly the bird without an onboard pilot. At last year's Project Convergence, the helicopter flew autonomous simulated resupply mission with onboard safety pilots. This year, the Army said it was looking to continue to mature those capabilities. And they got another quote from... Uh, Major General Miles Brown, Commanding General of the Army's Combat Capabilities Development Command. I think they call that DEFCOM. Uh, he told reporters that the Blackhawks being flown with medical and logistics package at this year's experiments, but did not go into further detail. Todd added that the Blackhawk had flown at ranges we've previously not seen with payloads we've previously not seen. I don't know what to take from that. And before I get too far away from it, DARPA Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA. I give that acronym a 2+. Moving on. I want to get stuck on acronyms. I apologize if you're bored with the acronyms. So back to the article. The Army views this alias software as potentially life-saving capability, allowing the services and pilotless helicopters in dangerous areas to resupply forward troops or evacuate wounded soldiers. It would also allow helicopters to take off in bad weather without endangering pilots. The mission sets at Project Convergence will continue to inform the services leaders about the future of autonomous helicopters after Alias's first fully 
pilotless flight earlier this year. You notice that a lot of this stuff is informing requirements. They do a lot of this experimentation to inform requirements of future systems. Anyway, that's the theme that you're going to see throughout every podcast whenever we talk about these new systems, informing requirements through experimentation. Uh, the whole idea is to be able to launch an aircraft in all weather, in contested environment, in a high-threat environment, and deliver critical supplies in our soldiers. to our soldiers is a huge need for us, Todd said. As for Sikorsky, the company believes that Alias Autonomy Software will be a critical component in modernizing the Blackhawk across the coming decades. To kind of talk a bit about the FLARA program here. So while the Blackhawk is being replaced in the Army's fleet by the future long-range assault aircraft, FLARA, the airframe could be around until 2070, till, until the 2070s. Um, they got in parentheses, Sikorsky is competing against Bell Textron for the FLARA contract. We've kind of went into depth on that a few times. Uh, Macklin said the company is working... I'm sorry, Jay Macklin. He's the director of Sikorsky's Future Vertical Lift Business Development. He's a company guy. So Mac, Macklin says the company is continuing to work with the Army on upgrades to the Blackhawk to ensure that it's equipped with the technology like sensors and payloads to ensure the helicopter fits in the Pentagon's vision of all domain operations and integrates into the next generation of rotocraft. He was doing real good there, and then he had to throw that in there. Uh, the question is, how do you make an enduring fleet capable enough to be relevant and operate in that automated operations environment? Good question. Let's see here. So Macklin continues. He said, the Army, when the Army briefs, the Blackhawk is going to be around till 27, 2070, and the first unit equipped is 2030 for future vertical lift. That's 30 to 40 years of interoperability. So we're saying the enduring fleet must be interoperable with future vertical lift. So if this sucker's been around since 82, I know. Uh, 83 was Grenada. There was Blackhawks in 83. So 93, 2003, 2013, 2023. It's already been around 40 years. And if it's going to be around another 40 years, that'd be 80 years Blackhawk. No way. Ah, what am I talking about? How long has the B-52 been around? But uh, the Blackhawk's been around... Just kind of a, kind of a, I guess not a story. Antidote, is that what it's called, antidote? When I first came in the Army, they were still flying UH-1s. But eventually the UH-1s were gone. So there, you, there were still UH-1s in 90 for sure. And I think the UH-1s came around in 62. So say let's say the UH-1s were around 92. So that's, that's 30 years. But compared to the Blackhawk, that's nothing. That's nothing. The Blackhawk has been around. Now, I know that I think the Marine Corps still use the UH-1. It probably looks nothing like the original UH-1. But uh, Blackhawk's okay in my book. I'll say that. So autonomous Blackhawk, and that's it. The story kind of ends there, I think. Should I talk about the modular open systems architecture? Yeah, might as well. So, again, a quote from the company guy, Macklin. He said the company is also working to make the Blackhawk compliant with the Army's modular open systems architecture, which allows the service to easily upgrade aircraft in the future, particularly with systems that will improve aircraft survivability or maintain its connection to the network. So this MOSA, if you ever heard that term MOSA, modular open systems architecture, that's part of the, 
I do believe that's part of the future vertical lift. Probably every program, really, because all this stuff is going to be connected to a network, supposedly. That's what everybody's working to. That's what this join all domain stuff is, uh, command and control. It's a network. Uh, you're already seeing it with uh, EMVGB and uh, the FWSI. Those are networked together. At some point, if they get this IVAS up and running, it'll be networked to the IVAS, and there will be, I don't know, I'm not an expert on it, but lack of a better word, a cloud, a tactical cloud. Maybe there'll be a cloud at every level. Who knows? But anyway, that's what this MOSA is, Modular Open System Architecture. So whatever system gets built from, for example, today on, will have this MOSA. So it will always be able to be upgraded and talk to other systems. I think that's the goal of it. But again, I'm not the expert. All right, we're at 28 minutes and 45 seconds. Kind of a quick inter, uh, quick uh, podcast. But we got some decent stuff. F-35, B-21, CTT. Hi Mars and Project Convergence too. And I hope to do more Project Convergence stories. I don't know how popular they are. Um, I don't, honestly. But I dig Project Convergence. There was an article on the Navy's version of Project Convergence. It escapes me. I think it's called Project Overmatch. I can't remember. Maybe I'll do something on that, but I didn't want to muddy the water with talking about the army project convergence and then start talking about the navy's version of it so maybe maybe i'll do that another time oh and i haven't forgot about fn 3.0 i haven't got to it i looked at it the other day it's a little i think there's there's still a lot of stuff from the old 3.0 in there but there's a lot of stuff quite a bit of stuff that i won't say has changed I'll just say there's some stuff in there that's new that I hadn't seen before. And Honest Broker, I'm not a doctrine expert. I don't claim to be a doctrine expert. Quite frankly, I'm not sure if I want to be a doctrine expert. Uh, those guys, the people that write doctrine are a special, special type of person. And uh, I don't think I will. I'm not a doctrine expert. I won't go any further than that. But I do understand a little bit of it, and I, understand, and I have read some of it. And I understand the easy parts of it. But I do recognize some of the stuff that's in the 3.0, but there's some, I recognize some stuff that wasn't there before. And that's the stuff I really want to concentrate on, and I haven't forgot about it. And if you're, if you're waiting with bated breath for me to get to 3.0, um, what do they say, always leave them wanting more? I'm going to get to it, I promise. So I just got to – I want to do it – you know, I don't want to uh, do a pretty decent job at it, so – Stay tuned. I'm going to work on it, and pretty soon I'll do a 3.0. It'll probably be very, very underwhelming given the buildup I've just given it. Anyhow, it's 30, uh, 30 minutes to 31 minutes. It's, uh, I guess it's game on now here. It's fall where I'm at. Uh, the leaves are coming down like crazy. I spent all weekend, last weekend, messing with the leaves, and I come out the next day, and they're all back again. And uh, wearing a jack to work every day. So I think it's game on until uh, 1 March when spring hopefully shows up early. But uh, anyways, to get a chance, get out there, enjoy what's left of the fall uh, before it gets too cold. Get out there and take the podcast with you. Go for a hike in the woods. Look at the fall foliage if you got that where you're at. And uh, if you're traveling, put the podcast on while you're waiting for your plane. And we're on Twitter if you're interested in that kind of thing. At Defense underscore podcast is our handle. Uh, if you're bored and you want to check out Twitter, go check us out. 
Not as active as I've been, but I'm getting back into it, I suppose. And as always, if you're listening to the podcast, a regular listen, I sure appreciate the support. I mean, you could spend your entertainment dollars wherever you want. But if you come back here every week or every few days to check us out, I appreciate that. Um, And we'll try to keep doing relevant shows and, and good content and stuff like that. Anyway, I've said enough. 32 minutes. Thanks for listening. And uh, thank you and good night.